Stay connected this winter with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered internet for just $19.99 per month with all-in pricing for two years. But that's not all. Your first month is on us. This deal gets better with a free modem and installation along with free Wi-Fi your way whole home coverage. Safeguard your network from cyber threats and keep all your devices connected and secured with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires March 3rd, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. From Crooked Media, this is Unholier Than Now. I'm your host, Philip Picardi. When many people think of Buddhism, they think of passive pacifists who practice meditation. So maybe you'll be surprised by today's guest, who's here to talk a little bit about Buddhism and a little bit about BDSM. Soma is an artist, activist, and a fierce advocate for sex workers, people struggling with addiction, and people who are houseless. She's also taught as a Buddhist teacher at Against the Stream Meditation Center, a nonprofit based in Los Angeles. And finally, she's worked as a professional BDSM dominatrix for the last 15 years. If that last part sounds a little at odds to you with the rest, you may be surprised to hear just how harmoniously it works in Soma's life. Here's just a little taste of her magic. Is it soft? Is it rough? Is it restricted? What's here? What do you notice? What do you notice about the breath? What we do is intrinsically risky, and to pretend that it's not risky is irresponsible. What if this was your last breath? As a dominant, we're responsible for the bodies of our submissives. So first, Soma, I'd love to start with your origins of faith. I understand that you left Christianity. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, I left Christianity when I was about 17, 18 years old. And it was a really big deal because I came from a very Christian family. My my parents were actually Christian missionaries, um, as well as my my uncle was as well. And I, you know, I went to church and read the Bible and I prayed every day. And, and I actually at one point intended on becoming a Christian um, worker or leader or missionary myself. So I was very devoted to this. And, um, but you know, when I left the church or Christianity, it was, you know, it was a culmination of many different, you know, it was a very difficult and painful thing. And, you know, it's, it's like when you leave something behind that is sort of takes up every aspect of your life, you know, I, I talk about it sometimes as having like a God sized hole, you know, and it's sort of like, well, what do you, what do you do when you have a God sized hole in your life? You, you, you look for something else. So, I mean, for me, you know, at first I, I found punk rock and that was such a a big sort of awakening for me was finding punk rock music and culture. And then after that, it was really finding sexuality and feminism and learning to be embodied and, and really finding Madonna. Madonna. (laughs) Yeah. I'm glad to hear she was part of your spiritual awakening too. (laughs) 
Um, well, I'm glad that we share that. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, Madonna, yeah, there's like this big moment for me when I was about 18 years old and I was watching Truth or Dare and... You know, it's, it was just like the way that she moved and she was so embodied and, um, you know, even just the way that she would look at the camera, you know, like she knew that she was being filmed and she knew how to, she knew how to use her sensuality sort of like in such an empowered way. And I really wanted that. And so Madonna somehow gave way into Buddhism. Is that correct? I mean, that's interesting. I mean, many, many years later, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but first, you felt like you had to understand your sexuality in your own embodiment. And then Buddhism came. Is that how that goes? Slowly along that path. I mean, you know, there, there's a whole lot of suffering along the way. Mm. You know, in, in some ways, it's, it's like Buddhism, mm. Buddhism saved my life. What do you mean by that? When I started practicing... Buddhism very seriously. I was very, very sick, um, both emotionally and physically, and I was desperate. And, you know, I'd even tried to commit suicide and was in very deep addiction and had lost so much around me. Um, and, you know, I had experienced a lot of abuse and, and trauma and hurt, had hurt other people in sort of Buddhist circles is this idea, you know, that the Buddha taught was that there's so much suffering in life and that there, that suffering can be relieved or that there is an end to suffering. And, you know, that was really what Mm -hmm. brought me to this practice was because I was absolutely suffering. So how did Buddhism help alleviate some of that suffering? How did it give you a new perspective on your life? Well, it was a slow process. But, you know, one of the things that is so incredibly powerful and beautiful about the Buddhist practice is that you learn that you actually can sit through anything, that you can turn towards very, very painful experiences and and you can face them. And um, and in, in the process of facing painful things that come up that you can heal it. There's also this aspect of, you know, just when you sit down and you close your eyes, things slow down and, um, there's, it's just so intense being human, right? Like we know that right now in the midst of everything that's going on right now. This may be hard for you to answer, but I just wonder, it sounds like when you first encountered Buddhism, you were in a tumultuous relationship with the self. And I can't think of anything that I would be less likely to do when I'm at my lowest point than to sit down, stop everything, and close my eyes, you know? So, I mean, for lack of a better expression, what brought you to be able to even get to your knees at that point? What was the catalyst for you to to find and be receptive to this kind of spiritual awakening? I was already on my knees. At some point, life already pushes you to your knees and you're already facing yourself. You know, it's, it's sometimes, you know, I, I, I was already having this experience of 
every time I looked in the mirror, I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. All of the, the memories and the, the guilt and the shame and the, the traumas and the hurt and the resentments and blaming of the other people. And some of it with just cause, mm-hmm. you know, the hurt, right? When you're, when you're already in sort of um, the mess, you already know what's there. So I think closing your eyes, even though it's, it hurts, mm. that's, that's actually offering yourself a breath of fresh air. Mm. I'm wondering where along this journey you discovered the practice of BDSM and practicing um, as a dominatrix. Were those things, were they happening in tandem? Do you feel like, or did one come kind of after the other or was one informed by the other? Well, I think that I was born kinky, first of all. Hard same. And, you know, that sort of evolved throughout my life. And, you know, it's sort of like, when I was a very young person, sort of getting my my boyfriends to cross-dress and not really knowing that was what that was. And then, you know, trying to understand, you know, like, what's polyamory? And, oh, what is it to be a queer woman? And, you know, like, all of these different things. And then later understanding that, you know, that BDSM is this wide spectrum and, you know, there's all of these different aspects to it. And, um, it's like, you can't necessarily pin it down. I do remember, you know, like taking it pro when I took it pro and I started doing foot sessions and I was doing foot sessions on Craigslist back in the day. What is a foot session just for the people who don't, who may not know? So, um, this is when someone comes and they kiss your feet and they suck on your toes and they might like, so it it might be that they like your feet in stockings or they might like your feet in heels or they might like dirty feet or they might like stinky feet or they might like clean feet or they might like red toenails or, you know, it's, it's very particular, but it is based around having a fetish for feet you know, this was so many years ago. And, you know, it's at some point along the way, it really clicked for me how much I liked doing this and how I'm, how much I liked doing it in a transactional manner. You know, it, it made a lot of sense to me. And I had this one particular session where one of the gentlemen said, well, you slap my face. And it just like, it was just like a lightning bolt for me because it was so exciting. And I said, yes, of course I will. And then he said, well, you spit on me. And that was really fun too. So that was like when it started to transition from just doing foot sessions into more of a BDSM, you know, a dominance aspect to what I was doing. I mean, I think that there are a lot of misconceptions and obviously a lot of sensationalism around BDSM. So I'm just wondering, can you explain what a BDSM or a dominatrix dynamic is like? And and maybe even like, what's something that you wish that more people knew about this practice? You know, one of the big things that I think is super important to understand is that it doesn't come from anger. 
And, you know, sometimes I'll even hear younger dominatrixes or, or people that want to be a dom say something like, oh, well, this is great because then I'll be able to work out all my anger towards men. And if that's what you're looking for, then you should actually go to therapy because that's not what we do. What we're doing is a consensual experience between adults where we negotiate between two or more people. And it's something that should be enriching and nourishing and pleasurable for both of the people involved or however many people are involved. And it's, you know, it's, it's something that is based in very deep trust and respect. And if there isn't trust and respect, then it just doesn't work. Um, you know, and then some of the activities that we do, do involve pain or risky situations. And if there isn't trust and a whole lot of negotiation and communication involved, then someone could actually get hurt or harmed in a way that is not pleasurable. So that makes a lot of sense to me. And I'm glad that you said that because on this face value of this episode, I wanted to make sure that we're not sensationalizing you or your work, right? I want to make sure that we're coming from a place of just respect and understanding of, of what you do. Um, and I think that helps all of us who are listening understand. And, and you know, at face value, obviously, one could say that your Buddhism and your practice as a dominatrix are at opposite ends of some sort of imagined binary, right? We have Buddhism, who believes in pacifism and doing no harm. We have BDSM, which is um, a, largely can have something to do with dynamics of pain, play, and subjugation. Um, I'm just wondering... How do you explain the reconciliation of, of that? How do you explain how you exist on those two planes and how they commingle? Well, I think that there's a lot to that. First of all, I think power is fluid. Mm. And I think that it a big part of BDSM is power exchange. You know, and I, you know, as a dominant, I actually really love power, but I don't want to take it from anyone I want it to be given to me by someone who decides of their own free will to gift it to me in acts of service or worship because it makes them feel good. That to me is a gift. And, you know, there's something that we say in, in Buddhism that, that, you know, there's actually a, a part of what we call the precepts. And these are sort of like almost like ethical guiding principles. And one of the things that we say is um, we only take what is freely offered. And so for me, that's very much aligned with BDSM practice around consent and around power. And, you know, some of the other aspects that I, I see that are so important you know, with sort of the connection between BDSM and Buddhism are, you know, BDSM encourages people to face the pain and relax into it, you know, and sort of let go of what is unnecessary. And, you know, I see a lot of intersection between meditation and bondage, you know, and we actually see that there's been scientific research that bondage can, that it actually calms anxiety and what it does in the brain is very similar to what 
happens in the brain in meditation. And it's kind of similar to what's happening with mm. when I can't make the choice to move, then I'm just going to relax into it and let go. And there's something similar to what's happening in the body when you're just sitting in Vipassana practice and you just relax and let go into that posture. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, they're actually, and even though it seems like they're very different, there's actually a lot of alignment. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Unholier Than Now is brought to you by Raycon. Whether you're working from home or working on your fitness, you want what you're listening to to be what you're listening to, not what your neighbors are listening to. Everyone needs a great pair of wireless earbuds. But before you go dropping hundreds of dollars on a pair, you need to check out the wireless earbuds from Raycon. You already know Raycon earbuds start at about half the price of any other premium wireless earbuds on the market, and that they sound just as amazing as other top audio brands you know. Their newest model, the Everyday E25 earbuds, are their best ones yet, with six hours of playtime, seamless Bluetooth pairing, more bass, and a more compact design that gives you a nice, noise-isolating fit. Raycon's wireless earbuds are so comfortable, they're perfect for conference calls or binging podcasts, or, if you're anything like me, blasting Sierra on a five-mile run down the pier. Unlike some of your other wireless options, Raycon earbuds are both stylish and discreet, with no dangling wires or stems to distract anyone during video calls. You've heard me talk about how the company was co-founded by Ray J, and celebrities like Cardi B are obsessed with Raycons. Pick up a pair and see what the hype is all about. Now's the time to get the latest and greatest from Raycon. Get 15% off your order at buyraycon.com unholy. That's buyraycon.com unholy for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. Buyraycon.com unholy. Unholier Than Now is brought to you by BetterHelp. Right now, especially during social distancing, it can feel really overwhelming and anxiety-inducing. And I know that talking to someone, especially an impartial third party, uh, could make things a whole lot better. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. The service is available for clients worldwide, and it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling. They even offer financial aid. There's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. They offer licensed professional counselors who are specialized in depression, anger, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, and trauma. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. You can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, all without ever having to sit in an comfortable waiting room. The service is both convenient and affordable, and anything you share is confidential. I want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com unholy. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot unholy. This Sunday will be 100 days out from Election Day, and between now and then, we'll be up against things like this pandemic, voter suppression, and disinformation that will make or break this election. In an election where we'll need every last vote, we can't afford to lose a single one. That's why this Sunday, Vote Save America is kicking off a week of action to fight back and make sure that every last vote is counted on Election Day. Check out votesaveamerica.com slash everylastvote for all the details. There's a tool for you to request your vote-by-mail ballot, opportunities for you to call voters about voting by mail and volunteer as a poll worker on Election Day, and there's a brand new fund to support aggressive, on-the-ground efforts to mobilize marginalized communities that are frequently the targets of aggressive voter disenfranchisement efforts. Find everything you need to make sure every last vote is counted on Election Day. votesaveamerica.com slash everylastvote. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Okay, let's get back to my conversation with Soma. It's it's interesting though because you've essentially what you know what I understand and and please correct me if I'm wrong. But what I understand is that you've found a way to make Buddhism work for you in a way that Christianity maybe couldn't. Is that a fair read? I think so. It's that's probably a fair read. Tell me why you're hesitant to agree. <laughs> That's funny. I just like never thought of it that way. I just think it's an interesting way to blend or to find a way to accommodate both sexuality and spirituality, to not segment these things um, so specifically in our lives. And I find that to be, you know, something really admirable if, I, if I'm being if I'm being honest. Um, and I, I'm just wondering on on that note, like, I think you mentioned earlier that Buddhism is a part of your BDSM practice or your practice as a dominatrix. Is that right? It is a part of my practice. And, you know, I believe if your spirituality is really very deep, then it will permeate every part of your life. You know, there's no part of your life that will be left out. So how does that manifest itself, if you don't mind my asking? You know, it's always evolving. There's always new things that I'm learning. And then, so I might, I might drop something and try something and then, and change it. But, you know, it's some uh, different parts of my practice. I've done, you know, sort of very ancient meditation practices that I've mixed with bondage, you know, so at some points I've been doing in Buddhism, we do, um, particular meditations, like we'll even do, um, corpse meditations and that's sort of focusing on the awareness that at some point we will die. This helps us be very aware of the preciousness of life and be um, sort of more alive now. And I've combined that with very heavy bondage and sensory deprivation. So it's almost like you're wrapped up like, um, like a mummy or you, you know, so it's it's like having the experience of really going close to death. And so, you know, that can really bring you when you come out of it into this like, wow, let me treat today as the best day ever and go forward into this week and like seize the day. It's really kind of exciting to blend some of these different practices and see what comes of it, you know, because it really, I, I think that spirituality and sexuality beautifully, intrinsically can be aligned. Mm. So in other words, you very much do feel like there is room within this spirituality or the spiritual practice to be freely and openly sexual and to, and almost that it encourages you to explore those desires of of the body or of the spirit. Yeah. I mean, for me, you know, I want to get laid. I want to fuck, 
you know? And I hope that lots of people have pleasure with their body. And, you know, I, I think we're actually unhealthy if we don't allow ourselves pleasure. And I think that there's actually a part of us that doesn't know how to have pleasure and feels guilty around certain areas of, of wanting. And that's the part of ourselves that has to learn how to ask, what do I actually want? And that goes back to those conversations around consent. You know, we have to first know what do I want before we can share that with someone else. Mm. It's okay to want, it's okay to have sex. It's okay to have a good meal. You know, and that this is part of having a beautiful life. Mm. In uh, in Buddhism, we talk about 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows. You know, we don't need to give up pleasure. We need to give up suffering. It, that is a beautiful and succinct way of putting it. And I hear that and I feel that deep inside of me in all of the canals and orifices of my body. That was <laughs> so well said. Do you think that there are people who are Buddhist who may be listening to this podcast, hearing you say this, and who may be horrified at your interpretation of Buddhism? Oh, absolutely. What do you say to them? You know, I I would say, you know, what is it that um, is so disturbing if it is disturbing you? I mean, this this is a path of radical revolution and... It's okay to be disturbed. Um, it's okay to question. It's okay to inquire. This Dharma doesn't have to look one way. It's not a one size fit all thing for, for mm. all of us. And I think that liberation can be sexual liberation. And likewise, right? Sexual liberation can be spiritual liberation. Absolutely. That That's kind of, I mean, if if we can, I think the best place to end here is I'm not a Buddhist. Um, I, I don't know where my path will take me. God, you know, li- much like you, I am an ex-Christian. And I sp- have spent a lot of my adult life and even my adolescent life unlearning the stigma that was against my sexuality. And I don't just mean my homosexuality, but I mean expressing sexual desires or having a sexual appetite or wanting things and articulating a want for things that may be considered deviant or outside of the norm, right? And how to how to reteach myself or rewire myself to think positively about those things and be gentle with myself about that journey. And it is a very hard thing. And so yeah. I just want to congratulate you and thank you for for sharing so openly all of that. But I'm wondering if you have any advice for people who are are still struggling to articulate those things and, and still struggling to find out how one can be a spiritual person and a kinky person or a spiritual person and just a sexual person. Um, what do you offer them? What words or prayers or wisdom do you offer them? I would say that you are your own best guide. You know, you can really learn so much from other people, but it's so important to go inside and, and do some deep inquiry to really know yourself the more that you know yourself, the more that you can connect deeply and intimately with others. And that's challenging and it's okay that it's challenging. You know, it's like 
like you're just saying a minute ago, like be gentle with yourself. It's hard. We, you know, like I think the biggest secret that when I learned this, I was just like, oh, none of us have this figured out. <laughs> right. We're making, we're all making this up. <laughs> yes. And also that like you can be, you can exist in one area of interest at one point of your life and then at another point of your life completely evolve out of it like taste come and go absolutely we don't wear the same type of clothes for our whole life god forbid that would be tragic so why should we have the exact same sexual preferences our whole life you know mm-hmm. totally it just feels like you're limiting your yourself from or, or, or maybe not, right? I don't want to be judgmental. Do what, sure. do what makes you happy. But of course, you know, the, the idea that we can be expansive in so many ways and bar sexuality from that, right, is, is it does seem silly now that I know that you're articulating it this way. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for, um, for joining me and for such an enlightening conversation. Um, it definitely has given me a lot to think about while I meditate. Hopefully I don't get too distracted. <laughs> thank you so much. And thank you so much for what you're doing. It's so important. I really appreciate your voice and you taking the time to have me here with you today. Thank you. I was so excited to speak with Soma about the intersection of the sexual and the spiritual, something that would most likely have horrified all of my Catholic school teachers growing up. But more importantly, I'm excited by the possibility she represents, that it's possible for us to show up to a spiritual practice, to church, to temple, to wherever, as fully formed, fulfilled sexual beings, that we don't have to feel dirty or deviant for what we do as consenting adults with our bodies, that sexual pleasure can very well be a form of nourishing our spirit. You don't have to be a kink practitioner or a dominatrix to know that enjoying sex can be liberating. It can be a setting where we feel embodied, cared for, and loved. It makes me think that divorcing the spiritual from the sexual may rob us of another opportunity to transcend. But there's another thing I've been thinking a lot about, and that's how Soma talked about embodiment itself. How Buddhism, through meditation and breathwork, allowed her to go deeper into her body. How her acknowledging and tapping into the physical then allowed her to face and heal her pain. In Christianity, I was taught that our flesh is the bad thing, the original sin, the very thing that makes us unclean. But in so many other forms of religion, we are called to be grateful for our bodies and acknowledge their miracles and their limits in order to eventually go deeper. And the last thing, and I love this the most, is that just like so many of this podcast's other guests, Soma found a way to make her faith work for her. As we think about all of this, I also hope that we can change our language, stigma, and conversations around sex work. Sex workers are deserving of our respect and appreciation, and they also deserve fair wages, equality, and protection under the law. Most recently, the passage of SESTA-FOSTA forced a lot of sex workers to take their businesses offline again, thus bringing them back to the streets and jeopardizing their safety. For all of our renewed conversations around labor justice and police abolition, we seem to conveniently leave out the sex workers in our society, thus allowing them to be exploited and potentially abused or killed. To learn more about how to support efforts to decriminalize sex work and why we should do so, visit decrimny.org. That's D-E-C-R-I-M-N-Y dot org. If you're able, please make a donation. 
Unholier Than Thou is a Crooked Media production. Our producers are Adriana Cargill and Elisa Gutierrez, with production support from Allison Falzetta and Lyra Smith. The theme song is by Taka Yasuzawa, and our executive producer is Sarah Geismer. Thanks for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.